Future-proof gold from Newstalk. Now, it's time for an experiment. I'm Stanley Malcolm, and this is an experiment. Rug, pillow, hair, grass. Incorrect. 165 volts, strong shock. Let me out of here. I will not be part of the experiment anymore. He, he says he's not going to go on. Please continue. He, he says he doesn't want to go on. We must continue. In nearly every case, the essential results are the same. They hesitate, sigh, tremble, and groan, but they advance to the last switch, 450 volts, because they're politely told to. That's a scene from Experimenter, the Stanley Milgram story. We're joined now by Quentin Cooper, the brilliant science journalist who for many years presented Material World on BBC4. Quentin, welcome to the programme. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm great. And I have to say, this is one of those studies, I think, it's it's kind of par for the course for psychology, graduate degrees, and it should actually be par for the course for basic education, this fascinating study by Stanley Milgram. Yeah, and apparently they still show it at places like West Point Military Academy to this day. Yes, I have one of those psychology degrees from many years ago, and I remember studying the Milgram experiment, and it is one of the classics because... Two reasons. I mean, one is it tells us something fascinating and slightly alarming about human nature we didn't know. And remember, this is 1961. Before this happened, some people kind of doubted the validity of psychology. Is it really telling us anything useful? Isn't it just a very long-winded way to tell us stuff we already know about ourselves? Hmm. And then secondly, that it raises all these ethical issues about what it's acceptable to do in the name of science, because the only way for this experiment to work is you have to mislead people. So set it up for people who aren't familiar with the Milgram experiment, obedience. What exactly did he do? Right, what he wanted to do, he wanted to look at how far people would go in obeying somebody just because they were told to do something. And Stanley Milgram in 1961 put an advert in a newspaper saying he was looking for persons for a study of memory, that they'd be paid $4 an hour, and he wanted all sorts of people, $4 an hour, probably about, what, 35 euros roughly in today's money. So a lot of people thought it was worth coming along. It was made very clear to them they get the money as soon as they arrived, and the money was theirs, whatever they did. And then they were told that somebody was going to be given these, as you heard in the clip, these pairs of words. And they had to kind of remember which two words were linked, and the words would all be read out. Then they'd be read one of the words again, and the person had to say which the word was. Now, what they didn't know, they were introduced to the person who was the learner, and they had the role of the teacher. The learner was in one room, they were the teacher in another, and if they got it wrong, they were supposed to flick a switch and were told it would administer an electric shock. Now, what they didn't know was actually there were no actual shocks involved at all, but a bit like one of these complex Darren Brown illusions, a lot of trouble was gone to to create the idea. They would have believed very firmly they were administering ever higher electric shocks. They were even given a real electric shock at the start of the experiment so they could feel what it felt like, and gradually they went up and up and up. And by the end of the experiment, a lot of them were being asked to administer huge amounts of shock, shocks that would be very, very dangerous to people. And they would often, they would look uncomfortable and they would blanch and they would maybe laugh nervously and they would try and get out of it. But most people went ahead because the experimenter told them so. Which I suppose is a really scary thing. And the reason this 
particular experiment came about was because of the things that people did during World War II. And uh, in the Nuremberg trials, this sort of defence of, I was just following orders, I came up over and over again. And people stood in the docks and said, I'm not responsible. I was just doing what I was told. And Milgram wanted to know, could just being told be reason enough? Because the public didn't believe that at the time. Well, in fact, as, as you're, you're absolutely right, because as this experiment was happening, it started three months after the start of the Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann having a trial in Jerusalem. Remember, he fled to South America and was only found years after the war, and this was a big thing. And he was very much unrepentant in the courtroom, but his argument very much was that he was a middleman. He just did what other people did. So this is also not just about the nature of obedience, it's about our ideas about the nature of evil. And I think one of the reasons why this experiment has remained so controversial down the decades, I mean, it's more than 50 years old now, is that not only that this showed us these disturbing things about ourselves, but because it was done in a way that was slightly involved deceit, some people chose to believe the deceit got us out of this morally repugnant behaviour. And people are very uncomfortable about the idea that ordinary humans, they would say, oh, it's only because of the nature of the experiment or the setup or certain things, rather than looking at, okay, humans will do some pretty diabolical things in not very extreme circumstances. Mm. I mean, these people had walked into a laboratory, agreed to an experiment, they were voluntarily there, they could leave at any time, but just because somebody in a nice lab coat, the lab coat wasn't white because it looked too medical, they made it grey so it looked slightly more military, but just because somebody was wearing a grey lab coat, they were prepared to do whatever they said. And yet, when someone said, I don't want to do it anymore, and the most strong language is used, that's when people started rebelling. And it's a really interesting sort of psychological situation in which when they feel that they had complete freedom, and yet they were being cajoled into doing it by someone in authority, they were increasingly willing to do whatever that person said. But as soon as a firm line was, was made, yeah. that's when people got nervous and that's when people said what what would happen is if they started to look nervous or ask questions the first thing was they initially the experimenter was in there with them would kind of just look away and look like they were completely indifferent but if they asked the question the first prompt would be please continue the second would be the experiment requires that you continue the third would be it is absolutely essential that you continue And then the fourth would be, which again, you're right, people would kind of bridle at, you have no other choice, you must go on. Now, each of those four was sometimes effective in people, and each of those four was sometimes the straw that broke the camel's back and made some people go away. But the alarming and disturbing fact is the vast majority of people went all the way and administered what appeared to be the maximum volt, I think it was 450 volts, Mm. several times. And at the end of the experiment, they, you know, the good news is that they were introduced, they were told what had happened, and it was all explained to them. So they didn't leave thinking, I may have actually caused physical damage to another, to another human being. And the vast majority of them were perfectly happy about that. 84% you know, of the original group said that they were glad they'd taken part in the experiment, and 80% said more of these research should be carried out. And actually three-quarters of them thought they'd actually learned something about themselves. But despite this, there was still... Throughout the decades since, there are still people who consider this experiment to be something that crossed the line in terms of ethics. 
but it's not the first time that, that experimenters were meant to do that, was it? There was a, in the 1920s, there was a guy called Carney something, and he got people to draw black lines on their faces so you could see the facial expressions that they made. He asked them to cut off the head of a rat to see the look of disgust, to see a natural look of disgust. And this is part of his experiment. You know, but people didn't know how to do it in a humane way. So like some people had real problems kind of struggling to cut off the rat's head, but like a third fully cut off a rat's head on being asked to do as part of an experiment. You know, these sort of studies, they do tell us a lot about human nature. And my question to you is, does modern ethics get in the way of discovery? Are we sort of held back in learning more about what it is to be human? because we are now much more careful about what we do to people and animals. Yeah, well, I would say certainly one aspect of this is modern ethics would make it much harder to do an experiment which involves cutting off a rat's head. (laughs) And that just shows a very simple transition over time from our view of animals. Animals were fodder for a scientific experiment, as they would have been for a lot of things. Animal, the ill treatment of animals, the ill treatment of certain groups of human beings as well. The thing about science is that the ultimate goal of science is to be absolute, but psychology is a science that interacts with morality and ethics, and morality and ethics are always in flux, as fashion is. You know, you cannot say absolutely, this is right, this is wrong. We have shifts in age of consent, we have shifts in what, who we allow to get married, we have shifts in how we treat animals, whereas... In theory, the speed of light remains a constant. You know, the, the mass of Jupiter remains fixed. And this is why some people find psychology a slippery science to deal with, because it interacts between hard science, the human nature, and morality and contemporary behavior, because they're always in flux. And I suppose, you know, you started off this interview by saying, you know, psychology was sort of seen as a sort of wishy-washy. Has that come back again, do you think, in recent times? Uh, and has it anything to do with ethics? I don't know if it's entirely ever gone. I mean, there will always be some people who have contempt for or a disdain for certain areas of psychology. But then you'll find biologists mocking chemists. You'll find mathematicians looking down on all other areas of science because they claim it can all be reduced to mathematics. You know, hmm. We love to give this image of the friendly scientist out to the world, but of course there's lots of inter-kind of uh, internecine amiable warfare going on between these things. I certainly remember somebody once, I was giving a science communication annual lecture at a, a what I can only say is a well-known British university in the north of England, and I was introduced by, the, I think, the vice-chancellor, who said, and here's Quentin Cooper, who presents lots of BBC science programmes. And the funny thing was, he didn't even study science at university. He studied psychology. So he's very much of the view that psychology <laughs> was not a science. Now, the fact that I also studied artificial intelligence is neither here nor there. But it was clearly he was quite happy to go and put it on the line that he doesn't count psychology as a science. Yeah, some, it depends on this program, I have to say. It depends on the interviewee. My opinion shifts daily. But I think today it's just psychology is a science. Really interesting. Well, I, I agree. But I certainly think there are elements within it. That's the problem. I, mm. When I studied psychology, the areas I looked at were the ones that were to do with the wiring of the brain, the visual perception systems, things like this. There are also areas where you get perilously close to psychiatry, and I definitely don't consider psychiatry to be a science. Quentin Cooper, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. 